Hi, my name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to The Bible in a Year, The Story Podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is day three. Genesis 3. Now the snake was more able to fool others than any other animal of the field, which the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say that you should not eat from any tree in the garden? Then the woman said to the snake, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but from the tree which is in the center of the garden, God had said, Do not eat from it, or touch it, or you will die. The snake said to the woman, No, you for sure will not die. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and bad. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eyes and could fill the desire of making one wise. So she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were without clothes. So they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves clothes. Then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the evening. The man and his wife hid themselves from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man. He said to him, Where are you? And the man said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was without clothes, so I hid myself. The Lord God said, Who told you that you were without clothes? Have you eaten from the tree of which I told you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The snake fooled me, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the snake, Because you have done this, you will be hated, and you will suffer more than all cattle, and more than every animal of the field. You will go on your stomach, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will make you the and the woman hate each other, and your seed and her seed will hate each other. He will crush your head, and you will crush his heel. To the woman he said, I will make your pain much worse in giving birth. You will give birth to children in pain, yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Then he said to Adam, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I told you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. By hard work you will eat food from it all the days of your life, and it will grow thorns and thistles for you. You will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your face because of hard work. Until you return to the ground because you were taken from the ground. You are dust and you will return to the dust." The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living things. And the Lord God made clothes of skins for Adam and his wife, and dressed them. Then the Lord God said, See, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and bad. Now then, he might put on his hands to take from the tree of life also, and eat and live forever. So the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden, to work the ground from which he was taken. 
So he drove the man out, and he placed cherubim east of the Garden of Eden with a sword of fire that turned every way. They kept watch over the path to the tree of life. Genesis 4. The man lay with his wife Eve, and she was going to have a child, and she gave birth to Cain. She said, I have given birth to a man with the help of the Lord. Next, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was one who worked the ground. The day came when Cain brought a gift of fruit of the ground to the Lord. But Abel brought a gift of the firstborn of his flocks of the, fat, of the fat parts. The Lord showed favor to Abel and his gift, but he had no respect for Cain and his gift. So Cain became very angry and his face became sad. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why are you looking down? Will not your face be happy if you do well? If you do not do well, sin is waiting to destroy you. Its desire is to rule over you, but you must rule over it. Cain told this to his brother Abel. And when they were in the field, Cain stood up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you are cursed because of the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer give its strength to you. You will always travel from place to place on the earth. Then Cain said to the Lord, I am being punished more than I can take. See, this day you have made me go away from the land, and I will be hidden from your face. I will run away and move from place to place, and whoever finds me will kill me. So the Lord said to him, Whoever kills Cain will be punished by me seven times worse. And the Lord put a mark on Cain so that anyone who found him would not kill him. Then Cain went away from the face of the Lord and stayed in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain lay with his wife, and she was going to have a child, and she gave birth to Enoch. Cain built a city and gave it in the name of Enoch, the name of his son. Now Irad was born to Enoch. And Irad became the father of Mahujael, and Mahujael became the father of Methusael, and Methusael became the father of Lamech. Lamech took two wives for himself. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the other was Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who live in tents and have cattle. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of those who played the harp and the horn. Zillah gave birth to Tubal-Cain, who made things from brass and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Nahama. And Lamech, gave, Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to my voice. Hear what I say. You, wives of Lamech, for I have killed a man for hurting me and a boy for hitting me. If those who hurt Cain are punished seven times worse than those who hurt Lamech will be punished 77 times worse. And Adam lay with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son, and gave him the name Seth. For she said, God has let me have another son in the place of Abel, for Cain killed him. A son was born to Seth also, and he gave him the name Enosh. Then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Psalms 104. Praise the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, you are very great. You are dressed with great honor and wonderful power. He covers himself with light 
as with a coat. He spreads out the heavens like a tent. He makes his home on the waters. He makes the clouds his wagon. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes the winds carry his news. He makes his helpers a burning fire. He set the earth in its place so that it will stay that way forever. You covered it with the sea as with a coat. The waters stood above the mountains. The waters left at your strong words. They went away in a hurry at the sound of your thunder. The mountains went up and the valleys went down to the place that you made for them. You set a place that they may not pass over. The waters will never cover the earth again. He sends rivers into the valleys. They flow between the mountains. They give water to all the animals of the field. The wild donkeys drink until they are no longer thirsty. The birds of the sky nest beside them. They sing among the branches. He waters the mountains from him above. The earth is filled with the fruit of his works. He makes the grass grow for the cattle and plants for man to use, so he may bring food from the earth, wine that makes man's heart glad, oil to make his face shine, and food to make his heart strong. The tall cedar trees that the Lord planted in Lebanon drink their fill. The birds make their nest there. The stork has its nest in the green trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats. The rocks are a safe place for the badgers. He made the moon to mark the time of year, and the sun knows when to go down. You make darkness and it becomes night. Then all the wild animals among the trees come out. The young lions make a loud noise as they go after meat, and they get their food from God. They go to their homes and lie down when the sun rises. Then man goes out to his work and works until evening. O Lord, how many are your works! You made them all in wisdom. The earth is full of what you have made. There is the wide sea full of both large and small animals. There are too many for us to number. The ships sail there, and the very large sea animals you have made play in it. They all wait for you to give them their food at the right time. You give it to them, and they gather it up. You open your hand, and they are filled with good things. They are troubled and afraid when you hide your face, and when you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. They are made when you send your spirit, and you make the land of the earth new again. May the shining greatness of the Lord last forever. May the Lord be glad in his works. He looks at the earth and it shakes with fear. He touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May the words of my heart be pleasing to him. As for me, I will be glad in the Lord. Let sinners be destroyed from the earth and let the sinful be no more. Honor the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Wow, this is a pivotal moment in the story. And instead of maybe focusing on the fact that humans have fallen or are broken, yes, we're alienated and dislocated, but really Genesis 3 is an incredible testament to God's immutable character and who he is. Father Mike Schmitz points out that this is our first introduction to Satan. Dr. Tim Mackey explains that the Hebrew is actually the Satans, which is referring more to a title or category, those who have placed themselves in opposition as an adversary to God. Dr. Mike Heisner explains that this was an 
Elohimian type of creature, which is Hebrew for heavenly creature. Now, don't get this confused. Uh, God is the Elohim of Elohims, right? But the Elohim is Hebrew for the word heaven, like in Genesis 1 when he created the heavens. He, God is the one above all earthly and heavenly creatures. Father Mike Schmitz and Jeff Cavins from Ascension Press's Bible in a Year podcast, which I also love, and other places refer to this rebellious heavenly creature as the Leviathan, which other parts of the Bible seem to synonymously use terms like sea monster or dragon. It is a fearsome creature. It is not just a simple talking garden snake. This is a serpent who is powerful and dangerous and may not be entirely like the animal serpent, but have other characteristics, perhaps more like a cherubim that has parts of um, flying creatures and human creatures and other uh, walking animal creatures. They say that Eve would have known this creature was dangerous, yet... Genesis 2 doesn't seem to indicate this with certainty. I say this because here and other places, Eve is noted to have been deceived. Typically, that means that someone trustworthy leads someone astray with false intentions or misleading information. It's entirely possible that the heavenly creature creatures were in the Garden of Eden because we know God places two cherubim at the entrance when Adam and Eve is kicked out of the Garden of Eden. We also know that God himself walked and talked with Adam and Eve. There's no other mention of regular animals talking to Adam and Eve or other heavenly creatures being present or talking, so we don't know this for certain. We hold this conviction somewhat loosely. It's entirely possible that this could have been the first act of rebellion of this Elohimian creature, which made it a Satan or adversary of God. Hence the reason God curses the creature to eat dust and slither on its belly. Similar to how the Satan is a category, the term sinner is a category descriptor and not, and not an individual, although in any given story, we could be talking about a specific sinner who's a person because we know all of us are sinners, both collectively and individually. In this story, we know we are also talking about a specific Satan or adversary of God. Fallen humans or sinners are sinners and fallen Elohimian creatures are the Satans. Father Mike Schmitz points to the fact that the Leviathan doesn't challenge God's authority or existence, but he does challenge God's trustworthiness. Challenges what God says. He challenges Eve's faith. Will you belong to him and trust in his words, or will you take control and seek moral independence from him? We often put God into a position to, for some reason, defend himself. We want him to show himself more, and he doesn't just want our belief. He wants us to belong to him of our own choosing. He could reveal more, and we would still have to make the same decision. The decision doesn't change. The Satan challenged Eve like he challenges us to question whether God really loves us and wants what's best for us. The deceiver only has to cast doubt to invoke us to drift. But in this story, we know God loves us because of how he responds to our moral defection. When God initially confronted Adam and Eve, we could hear a mad God who told you that you were naked, or you could hear a gutted God who's heartbroken. Who told you you were naked? God didn't want us to see our vulnerability as shameful and desire to cover it up. Adam blames Eve and then God for giving him Eve. 
Eve states that the serpent deceived her. You could hear it as she is in shock, or you could hear her statement back to God when asked, you know, what happened as blame. In either case, she made the first act of moral defection. Yet here is where we learn more about who God is. I can't help but draw a parallel to business. God gave Adam and Eve only one policy. Don't eat from the tree of knowledge. In most organizations, they have extensive codes of ethics and policies. And if an at-will employee violates a policy, they are or can be fired. And often the company will optimally distance themselves from the employee to avoid the halo effect of their poor choices. But not God. He was heartsick at our choice to morally defect and eat from the tree of knowledge. After God described the outcome of our moral defection in a series of poems in Genesis 3, which is largely hardships and intimate relationships between the man and the woman, humanity and God, and humanity and this adversarial creature that deal with the blessings of progeny and provision. But in Genesis 3.15, God offers the first mysterious foreshadowing of the wounded victor we now know is Jesus. God tells Eve, the woman who sinned against him first, that your descendant, a descendant of woman, will crush the head of, of the Satan, and in the process, the Satan will strike the heel of this descendant. I'm not sure if you've seen the painting of Sister Grace Remington's Eve and Mary, but it's a beautiful image. You can Google and observe the countenance of Eve and Mary. To me, it's such a testament of God's tremendous grace that he would not only not fire women or Eve, but enlist them in his rescue plan. He will choose to bring the serpent crusher, the savior through her. God is promising a rescue, but it doesn't erase the consequences. They are let go from the Garden of Eden, but their role remains. God makes them an apron or a loincloth that God comes along and creates garments and clothes them, which is described in a similar language to what God did with the priests in the Old Testament. God makes them clean through this sacrifice and will make all of us clean through the ultimate sacrifice of his son. They are still his children and he will go with them, before them, and be all around them. Genesis 4 is the escalation and widening, rippling effect of rebellion, fraught with grief and pain, destruction and death. This carries all the way through Genesis 11. Genesis 4 is telling um, of Adam and Eve's sons, Cain and Abel, where Cain kills Abel. First murder. The reason is not entirely clear, but we do know that God accepts Abel's gift and did not regard Cain's. Ultimately, we don't know why, but Father Mike Schmitz offers one thought, and in, in, it has to do with the nature of our heart. Abel offers his first fruits, or best, and Cain gave whatever. It's not really clear which, which may be the point. Are we giving God whatever, or are we giving him what is most meaningful to us? I'm not sure God really cares what it was or is, but he does care whether we're willing to give him what matters to us because he matters to us more and we love him and we want him to have our best and we do it in relationships with people we love. With people we love, we want to give them our first and our best. Lastly, Genesis 4 uses the same word that is used in Genesis 3 where the woman is described to desire her husband. The word desire is the same Hebrew word used in Genesis 4 here to describe sin that's lurking at the door. It's desiring, it's pursuing us. And God is calling us and telling us we can master it. 
God is declaring we can and must master this temptation. Each day we must sacrifice some of our time. The best first fruit is God's. It doesn't matter if it's in the morning, maybe your time is Netflix after all the kids are in bed, but God is asking us to give us what is important. Some of that free time, that first part of it, in our mind, our heart, our resource, our gifts. And this is how we build in our present for this relationship with God. Pray for me, I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow.